Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful for your work. We're grateful for the end of the summer. We're grateful for the school year starting. We're grateful to be in this town, Lord, serving your kingdom. Thank you for this duty. Thank you for our opportunities with each other. Keep us in your word, in your son's name. Amen. Okay, as you can tell from the sermon notes, we're in Ephesians chapter 1, starting around verse 15. Um, I always have to explain this when I do this. I, I love Ephesians 1. I love the first 11 verses. Um, it causes a lot of discussion. If you like to be in theological arguments, you can have a good one in the first portion of Ephesians 1. And I'm not skipping over it to avoid that, but I wanted to talk about this because of the sermon last week. We were in Romans 12 last week, and we were talking about the evasion Christians make because of their belief that if they are renewed in their mind, they'll be transformed and prove what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. And they believe that down to the well of their being, and they, dear heavens, don't want to do it because they would be proving what was the will of God. And it's much easier to do what you want if you haven't already proved what was the will of God. So, just in talking about the pursuit of God, and I've been in a number of discussions recently on the porch of legend, um, about the pursuit. We've been talking about curiosity, we've been talking about the things that drive us uh, to know more of him, and what does it mean to know more of him. So I was looking at Ephesians in that regard, because when he steps away from the apostolic claim at the beginning of the chapter, I have it here on the left-hand side, Ephesians 1.11. In him, according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to the counsel of his will, we who first hoped in Christ have been destined and appointed to live for the praise of his glory. In him you also, so it shifts to the Ephesians themselves, in him you also, who have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and have believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, which is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So he has moved to this generic address to believers who heard the gospel and, and believed. And that's you guys. Not just Ephesians. We are the people that heard this message and we believed in him and we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now, I sort of wanted to address this as, if we get a renewed mind, where are we anticipating going? What's, what's our point of collection? Because some people will be involved in all sorts of theological endeavors or philosophical argumentation or um, history, names, dates, places. When did Cyrus the Great live? And you piece it all together that way. Informational things. Um, history of the church and what the church has been up to in its belief system. So it's good for us to know where, where do I start picking things up? What do I, what do I, um, what do I want and what do I uh, 
expect to see around the next bend. I was uh, making reservations for our September trip and they, these hotel places, they have, you know, click on it, see the map, and then you can see the satellite version of the map, and then you can see the street view version of the satellite version of the map. And so now I know this little tiny hotel in Anacortes, um, Washington, what it looks like. I know what's around that bend. And I don't know if you feel like ever doing that, but it's, it's, you feel a little bit, oh yeah, I expected this around this bend. When we look at Ephesians 1, we see Paul praying for the Ephesians in regard to certain things we're concerned with. Verse 15, For this reason, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Now, I had included the previous verse because when it says for this reason, you might think, okay, the reason he just expounded for this reason, but then he follows it with a because, like this is the reason. For this reason, because I noted your faith, either one, it rests in faith in Jesus Christ. One, you were, you believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. On the other, I have heard of your faith and your love toward all the saints. This is what he is offering as the pursuit instructions um, for people in that condition. So you might want to ask yourself, am I in that condition? Am I one of those people that... is recognized that way. Having heard of the saints at all souls, having heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus, not that they heard that on the sign out front it says Christian, that's not hearing of our faith in the Lord Jesus. Somehow you're going to be known. How, how are you known? I mean, there's a number of things that you've expressed in your life. Not that they're not bad there. You say, well, he's tall. Uh, there are things that you could be known by while well, he's interested in model trains. Somewhere along the line, our faith in the Lord Jesus ought to be a, you know, a reputational. A reputation enough that Paul in prison refers to it. I have heard, because I have heard of your faith, and not only that, I've heard of your love for all the saints. What kind of people you are, what, what belief system you are expressed and noted for, and what effect that notation has had in you. So he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Well, that's a nice thing. When, it, when, the, when the apostle thanks God for you. Remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Sounds like it's well, the topic we were dealing with last week. But I wanted to point out that, that the sentence doesn't make a whole lot of sense if we, if we don't realize that the word prayers is, real, is not him talking about the prayers. Because 2,000 years in, we have taken the word 
that means to request something and turned it into a titular defined thing that we call praying. Because if you knew when you said, well, what is your view on prayer? Versus if you came to somebody and said, what is your view on making requests? Because that's what prayer is. You make requests. I pray the Lord my King would give me the land south of, you know, Lewiston. You make a request. So when he says... I give thanks to God, remembering you in my requests that the God... Because then he goes right into a request. He's not going... He's, he's not saying, remembering you in my prayers, because that's what Christians say to each other. You know, I really would covet your... You know, they covet prayers. I really would covet your prayers, and, and you have to make sure that on the way home from church you pray really quickly for them. Because uh, you've got to be able to say honestly, oh, we prayed for you. Because we're on little performance modes about this thing called prayer. And if we just were stopping to say, no, we're not going to call it prayer anymore, we're going to call it requests. And that's sort of an odd, what are prayer requests? Prayer requests are request requests. We ask God for things. He's asking, not just praying, not just showing off that he's got the prayer part of his life underway. He's making a request that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. Now, when you read Paul, he's, he's not real good with English. But it's run on sentences. But one of the things you do notice is you get um, great statements. One of the ways you will be known by your faith in the Lord Jesus, if your faith is in the Lord Jesus, not your faith in Christ, not your faith in Jesus, but your faith in the Lord Jesus. Because as you think one of the things as you're going towards the thought life in Christ is where am I going with it? Where, is I, where am I to go? What horizon? What bend am I turning around? And Paul is, is praying, requesting of the Lord, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, and I can't stop but put a little phrase, the Father of glory, you talk that way? You know, one of the problems with poetry not being either admired nor in a form of entertainment is that nobody knows how to speak poetically. And uh, no one thinks, well, I think this is sort of hyperbole. You're talking about the divine being. You can't hyperbolize that one. And if you have known the divine being, you're going to say the Father of glory. You're going to say the Lord Jesus Christ. But he's praying that this God, this Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Well, that's what we need, right? We, we are all week, we've been thinking about the sermon from last week. We said to ourselves, wow, he preached it with power and I really should pursue the things of God. I really shouldn't use that as an excuse. What am I, 
Paul's praying that they would understand that things would be revealed to them in a wise way. It's going to have newness to it. It's going to have structure and correctiveness to it. That's what wisdom does. It straightens out what's bent based in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. So what does it describe you? Just like I asked if it describes you that you would be known by your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love. Does it describe that wisdom, revelation, and sight down to your very center, the eyes of your heart, not the eyes in your head, the eyes of your heart. And then it says that you may know, and I, I played with my Adobe programs because I can, so it, it would sit in front of you with this kind of structure. Because I noticed that it gave you three what's. That you may know what is the hope, what are the riches, and what is the immeasurable greatness. Those are three what's that we are discovering or looking for or peering around the bend through the curtain, however you want to describe it, in your pursuit of the knowledge of him. I want to know what is the hope to which he has called you. He wants them to know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of the power in us who believe. Those are the assignments. That's your homework. That's what you've got to come away with. Paul is praying for this for you. That's a... Uh, Have you prayed this yourself? I was in a conversation with somebody recent, very quite recently after a discussion on this subject at the uh, big house. And I said uh, he was clearly afraid of pursuing it as if it were a works righteousness issue. I said, no, just ask the Lord to bring you to this point. Pray for this, that you would do this the way it ought to be done because it's what you want, because it's what you pursue, because it's your God. Not because the church expects it, not because you get to tick off that box and make everybody, well, he does do his prayers and he reads his Bible. Paul's praying this for you, right? That you would be given a spirit of wisdom and a revelation, that your eyes would be opened, that you would discover what is the hope, what are the riches, and what is the immeasurable greatness. That last one steps it up a bit. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power in us who believe? According to the, wor to the working of his great might, which he accomplished in Christ when he raised him from the dead and made him sit at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in that which is to come and he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head of over all things for the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all once again Paul waxing eloquent but I would encourage you to wax eloquent 
say, but I don't not read some poetry, learn how to be eloquent. You've got a God to speak of. This is not a Toyota. This is a God. The things divine. And when you address the things divine, it is, it is pushing you to a place where you should hold this end of the chapter 1 in Ephesians as sort of a descriptive buffer to keep you from wandering into religious efforts that are not worth your time. Because I quoted a verse last night, we were in our discussion on the porch, and, and it was, uh, God made man upright, but he has sought out many devices. We are so device-filled and confused, and our definitions are so bad, and our categories are so mixed up, and then we run around making decisions for ourselves. You have no business making decisions for yourselves. You are grossly uninformed. Almost grotesquely, have you ever, we were, uh, Rona's birthday was yesterday, which was hell. And uh, not just my grandchild was hell at her first birthday. And kill kids with cake in my house. And, but all her friends were over. None of whom, except for Kate and Phil, managed to show up here because they were so prostrated by their kids' behavior uh, at my house. So bad was the kids' behavior. Oh, Brianna's here too. She survived. But there were kids being hauled off to outer torment every few seconds. Like some of the fathers, I don't know why they invited the fathers, because fathers are not interested. We don't want to come to these parties. Don't make us come to these parties. Because we tried to escape the Dave give me the thumbs up in the, in the cry room. We don't want to be there. So, of course, some of the fathers and I tried to escape to the lawn. Let's go outside and talk men's stuff about landscaping. Of course, all the wives, where's the husbands? Let's bring the kids outside to be with the dads. We'll have good family time. And so then, of course, the porch is littered with small children doing great wickedness. And in that wickedness, of course, because you teach strong disciplinarian policies, off the kids went to my bathroom with our wooden spoon from our kitchen, which we found in splinters this last night in our bathroom because so many kids had worn that spoon out. I don't know who it was. I think it was Oliver, most of all. He's such a nice kid, but uh, spankings resonate with him. What was I, what was I caring about this? Uh, oh, we also have a little German cat car, a pedal car that they can drive around the sidewalk. None of them are old enough to do it. All of them are old enough to attempt it. Because little attempts at the cat car are filled with, no mother, I'm doing it. It's like a kid beginning to say, they can't do it. They don't know their butt from a hole in the ground. And they want to ride a little German pedal car. Because they see the importance and the maturity of that decision and they claim to be able to do it. And so, likewise, do you. You have life staring you in the face. You don't know what you're doing. You have no idea. 
You don't know what it is. You haven't seen what the God has done. This is not just, oh, this is our world over here, and this is the God who wants, who's kind of making a play for power in your world. No. This is the God who made this world, you're a part of it, and you don't know what you're doing. You might want to find out whether your knee joints bend. And when you do, you bend it towards a certain character, accomplished in Christ, raised from the dead, seated at the right hand in the heavenly places. And then he just goes on, above all rule and authority, because this is the question. When you're above all rule and authority, we were talking about this last night, when you realize that you really can't do things very well, you finally go off to college, or you finally go into the military, and you find out where rule and authority really is, and you ask somebody, you find somebody important in your field of study, and you get a mentor or a teacher or a rabbi, and you, uh, you ask, you, you learn something, a little less conceit, a little more humility, because someone is going to tell you how to live. That's just the nature of man when he matures. Instead of you just being a frat boy, piling up your pleasures on one hand and minimizing your pains, you realize, no, I need to arrange this and I'm not smart enough to arrange this. Please, someone help me arrange this. And various characters will step forward. Anything from a sociology professor to uh, 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 staff sergeant <coughs> will tell you what to do. Because that's what rule and authority and power and dominion mean. Jesus Christ is far above all rule, all power, all authority, all dominion. You're realizing, our God, that I'm trying to discover. I am walking down a path that I really don't want to walk down because if I pray this prayer, if I renew my mind, I'll have to do what I find out. Yes, if you pray this prayer, you will start to learn about he who has got all rule and all authority and all dominion. And he's got a few suggestions. He's got a way of looking at the universe. You're supposed to look at it that way. Because if you don't look at it that way, you're an idiot. You're that kid on the cat car who can't even reach the pedals. Now, verse, verse 1 of chapter 2. Then he says, And you he made alive. Not only this is who God is that I'm finding out about. If you're going to be prayed about, if the apostle is going to be praying for you, listen to what he is praying, listen to what he wants you to discover, how he wants you to discover it, about whom he wants you to discover, and who it is, you, who are doing this discovery. You have been made alive when you were dead through trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among these, we all once lived the passions of our flesh, following the desires of body and mind, and so we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Now, it's a wonderful description of just what we're up to. I know we like, what's the prince of the power of the air? Don't get yourself worked up about metaphysics that you don't, you're not ready for yet. But even if you didn't think the prince of the power of the air was involved in your particular malfeasance, 
We are all living by the passions of our flesh. We are all following the desires of body and mind. Okay? Not just Drones Club, we were discussing the Zeitgeist. Oh, the Zeitgeist? What is it? Zeit or Zeit? Who knows German? Zeit? Thank you. Whoever spoke up. Thank you, Robert. We do now, too. Um, the Zeitgeist is different in each era. You might even have one. But you know that your mind, and well, Lewis talks about this in The Poison of Subjectivism, how everybody's always sending the same way, but at certain points in time, certain mindsets increase the kind of calamity in a certain area. And he was arguing that subjectivism was doing it for our generation. Because we are not just, got, we don't just have desires of the body. You have desires of the mind. You're kind of a conceit about who you are. Remember, you're that little two-year-old that can't reach the pedals, who is insisting they can, and throwing a little fit that they don't get what they want. When we consider who we are, remember, we're, we're turning a corner, we're accepting the prayer, we're saying the prayer about ourselves that we would pursue him to this end, to find out what the hope is, what the riches are, and what the immeasurable greatness is. And we're going to discover it about our God in Christ, and this is the thing divine. I am on the task of finding the thing divine. I'm not just finding a good thing. I'm finding a God. And not only am I finding a God, I'm finding a God who saved a wicked man, myself, from himself. And you've got to have a right view of who you are. It's a, uh, a greatness of our Lord that is greater than Christendom or theology has really, really ever expressed. You know, they, they've got the words, they throw at the wall, and it sticks, and they omni this and they omni that. But you just, you know, not even, it doesn't even seem to register that they're talking about the divine being when they're saying those things. Because they made claims, and they were ultimate claims about the God. Remember that divinity is different than definition. You may have the right definition, but you might have the wrong God. And then, yourself, if you don't have the right view of who you've been, if you do not say, I was by nature a child of wrath, following the desires of body in my mind, and I wasn't ready to do that, and I ruined it. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Now, it's, you're coming up on a verse that you know. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, right? And another passage that we can have theological differences about, but we all find it a dear, for the Christians, we all find it... A dear passage, but we also kind of know it's largely theological to us. I don't want it to be largely theological to you this morning. Again, I love theology. It's a great way to have spend an afternoon, cigars and a fight on my porch. But 
this morning, I think we're discovering somebody, we're realizing ourselves. And it makes, a, it makes a claim setting you up. We were dead. We were made alive. We were raised up. He made us sit with him. Remember, he said that about Christ himself. That he was enthroned. He was raised from the dead, back at verse 20, when he raised him from the dead and made him sit at the right hand in the heavenly places. That's what he has given to you. Dead, alive, raised, and enthroned with him. Is this the description you have of your life, that you sit enthroned with Christ? Have you been raised up? Is there any way you describe who you are as being raised up? And that's right before the famous passage. Verse 8, for by grace we have been saved, you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not because of works, lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Step away, just, you know, put down the banners and the, you know, the, what are those things they use at stadiums when Christians are pounding those balloons together? Yay, this is a verse. This is a good verse. Bubble sticks? Rumble sticks. Rumble sticks. I'm not a sporting man, so. We get very excited about this. You know, it's like John 3.16. Stop and keep from thinking about grace and faith and a relationship to each other and how you're not allowed to have a, you know, faith alone, grace alone. I want you to be thinking of your salvation because he just described who we were and he described who Christ was. And we were being, Paul is praying that we would know what is the hope, what are the riches, what is the immeasurable greatness. That's what he's praying. He described Jesus Christ and what he did. He described you and what we did. And now he's talking about your salvation and we're in a theological argument. Get Jesus and your salvation worked out. Get those good works that were created for you to do beforehand. Get them happening before you talk about the theology of how they happen or the mechanism of their happenings. Let's have the salvation and the goodness, not a theology of salvation and the goodness. Therefore, verse 11... Remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh. You know, sometimes, I'm not a pastor. I don't know if you could tell, but I'm not a pastor of a big church. And that's, you know, we got a lot of people missing. Summertime, most of my family's gone. Uh, there are probably 30 people that aren't here. But even if you added those people in, it's not a whole lot. And, but pastors, even with small churches, they, they, they kind of measure the convicting power of the pet message that they give. And the parishioners know that because at the, at the door, thank you, pastor, was very convicting. Yeah, it's the best thing you could say, right? Very convicting. I was very convicted. I don't want to be that sort of guy, you know. I, 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 it's too easy to, to say 
rash and, and, and uh, strong things. But Paul doesn't let us up here. I mean, he just went through what you were like by nature, children of wrath. God's wonderful grace, wonderfully by faith, to make you good. Oh, let's talk about how bad you were now, again. In verse 11. At one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. That's, that's become a cliche that you use to describe the complete lostness of somebody. They're without hope and without God in the world. That's what the Gentile world was. They were bowing down to who knows what idol. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near in the blood of Christ. If I am going to learn what is the hope, what are the riches, and what is the immeasurable greatness, you've got to be starting here. Who and what Jesus, who he is and what he did, who you are and what you were like. Well, let's go back and see how, no, let's, let's spend some time on who that was. And what closed the gap. You are finding Christ in the gospel, and then as Christians you are finding more Christ in your pursuit of your understanding of him. You have been brought near to realize how vast the distance. We were talking last night on the porch on the conceit of man and how big, I mentioned it in a sermon a few weeks ago, how big everybody thinks they are compared to the size of the earth. You're tiny. You are nondescript. Everything man has done on the face of the planet is entirely, in a planetary sense, ignorable. It's a blemish that fades. Whole empires fall and are forgotten and are absorbed into the earth. And ours will be too. You think mankind is big and we're driving this thing around the universe like it was our automobile. It is not. It's too big for you. Matter of fact, I'm not sure you're aware of it, but it's killing you. Because it needs more fertilizer. And that's all we are. But we have a conceit. We don't know how far from greatness we stand. We're little tiny molecular sized beings that Jesus Christ died for, became one of, to save us from our wickedness. And we're not only conceited, we were bad. And he has brought us near in the blood of Christ. He is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. Now he's talking about the Jew and the Gentile. He's talking about the Jew and the Gentile uh, um, of being united in Christ. Because he's not, he's, he's closing the gap to the truth. He's not making the Gentiles join the Jews. He's saying, I've got something new in Christ. The Gentile has been brought with the Jew to Christ. What is the hope? Not that we become good Mosaic Jews. What is the hope? 
that both of us become Christ-like and we become Christ-like by the breaking down of the law. It says, by abolishing in his flesh the law of commandments and ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby bringing the hostility to an end. This is peace in us between us and other people. This peace is there for us to enjoy that we don't have in any other situation. We have usually a Nigerian here, we have some Japanese people here, we have some Chinese people, we have some Sri Lankan people, usually. We're all in Christ. We're all Christians. What does that mean? What is your hope? What are the riches? And what is the immeasurable greatness? And you might not be a poet, but if you couldn't sit down and write a compelling bit of prose about your God and your Christ, you haven't spent the time. You haven't listened to who you are, you haven't listened to who he is. And this piece, yeah, you've heard me say, you don't have to agree with me on this, but I think that peace is the prime motivator in all human decisions. We want to be in a state of ease. And that state of ease, God provides in Christ because he reconciles us both to God, verse 16, in one body through the cross, thereby bringing the hostility to an end. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Is that part of your hope? Do you have that peace? Some of you have anxieties. School year is just starting, so maybe not many. Or maybe you're just a woman who has kids and you're anxious. Or you're, you're just a worry wart, so you're anxious and you're not at peace. This is Christianity, folks. You get to be at peace. You have a God. You find him out. He brings peace to you by what he settles out in you. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and sojourners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now, if you're not, if you haven't discovered, again, not the theology of this, this thing, but its being in you, that you have been wonderfully redeemed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, Peace, confidence in the integrity of Jesus Christ being lived in you. Because you're the kind of person, if you stop and think, if, if Paul's prayers were answered for you, that what was the hope, what were the riches, and what were the immeasurable greatness, that was on your mind and in your study and in your discovery that you were pulling out when you read through Ephesians on your own. We're finding out we're fellow citizens with our other friends in Christ. We found out that we are members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built into it for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Now, 
Go back to the requests. Look at his description. Look at what he just briefly throws out in front of you to, you might say, seed the ground of what you could be discovering about your walk with Christ. We don't even know what we're after. Look at the questions he's asking you to have answered. Look at the path, the wisdom, the knowledge. Look at the God. Look at your sin. You start with those things. What wonderful thing has happened to you? Don't look at the founders of your denomination. Don't look at the great names in Christian history. That's fine. They're great names in Christian history. It's Christ that should be occupying you. You start with him, then the apostles and the prophets build off this cornerstone to make this temple. C.S. Lewis is way down the line. Martin Luther is way down the line. They are almost unimportant. But we have made them important because we would rather study the standard interplay of human groups and societies that are at odds with one another, not the one place where all Christians have peace because of his gospel. He has taken Jew and Gentile and made them into one being. And we are busy making Methodists and Lutherans. Like, no, this is, getting too, this is getting too good, oh Jesus. Let's not think about the things that make us holy and righteous, make us act like saved beings. Let's go back to thinking like the world where we set up the division and we don't have peace. So the hope and the riches and the immeasurable greatness are much more easily perceived. I think when you get to the immeasurable greatness, I just can't imagine... You're kind of a fanboy if you talk about C.S. Lewis in terms of immeasurable greatness. He was, he, was, he was a very good thinker. Good writer, good thinker. Irish, but you know, the Lord loves everybody. It's being made into a temple of God and knowing that you're the temple of God, and knowing the sanctity that the temple must maintain. You know the quality of the gift you had to bring to God in his temple. You are his temple. But it's made by Christ, his holy apostles and prophets. That's what's built it. How much do you know of your Christ and your, his holy apostles and prophets? in terms of the hope, the riches, and the immeasurable greatness. Let's thank God. Dear Lord God, we are very grateful for your goodness to us. We'd ask that you would measure us according to you, that this prayer of the Apostle would be prayed with us, that we would seek these same things, and we would seek them in your Son that we would be absolutely honest and realistic about who we are, and that our egos would not be believed. Bring us to peace, and bring us to peace in your Son. And in his name we pray. Amen.